welcome. It is the Highfalutin Ski Bum Podcast. It is your pals, Mario and Brian. Mario, what's going on? Not much. Loving life right now. Uh, wishing I was in the snow. Yeah, there's a lot of snow go- uh, starting to fall all over the place these days, which is kind of nice. So hopefully all you, everyone listening it had a wonderful Christmas and Kwanzaa and Hanukkah and Festivus and, you know, whatever new holidays that are new and cool that we haven't even heard of yet because they're so hipstery and underground. And hopefully you're spending some of that time getting out there and making some turns. And Thank listening you. to us. Of course. Yeah. Thank you for listening. And if you want more information, check us out, skibumpodcast.com. We're available on the socials, twitter.com slash skibumpodcast, facebook.com slash skibumpodcast, instagram.com slash skibumpodcast. We are on Pinterest as the Highfalutins. And if you're on SoundCloud, we're there. If you want to check some old school episodes, uh, soundcloud.com slash highfalutin-skibums. It's time for Opre What today. would a podcast be without our Opre today? Yes, it just wouldn't be a podcast. But Mario, what are you consuming today? So I'm consuming one of my favorites from down here in sunny Florida, nice. which I have almost every week or day, or I won't say how much I have it. Uh, Cigar City Brewing, the highlight, bringing the, bringing the IPA to bear. Uh, nice. That's really good stuff. I love this stuff. I don't know. It's just like, I know there's no citrus in it, but it tastes a little, it reminds me of citrusy Florida, just a nice IPA. It's got a kick yep. too. Yeah, the, those you can find, I think, a lot of places. I know I've seen it up here before. Yeah, they changed the distribution now, so you can find them like up north. Uh, it used to be only down here, but they've done a big push to, uh, and I think Florida's doing that with several beers right now. They're trying to get them in big circulation, so it's kind of good. I mean, it's a good beer, though. That's why it's in heavy circulation. It's in demand, so. Yeah, they're uh, super legit. I don't know what they did, but they did a good job brewing that one. Some of the some of the other ones I've had from Cigar City are hit or miss, you know, acquired taste, but this one is really right in the wheelhouse if you like IPAs. Nice. How about you, Brian? Yeah, I've been uh, – It's it's been a rough last couple of weeks regarding diet and exercise. And it's, it's just, you know – Christmas cookies. Christmas can be uh, – it's it, it, it's not ab-friendly. Let's just put it that way. So it's, Christmas cookie-eating son of a bitch. I put down a couple of stolens. I, uh, oh, wait a minute. We got. Do we have a stolen count? I gotta. If anybody doesn't know stolen, you gotta look it up. S S T O L E N, right? With the umlaut. S T O L L E N. Oh, two L's. It's like a, a German Christmas tradition. It's almost like a fruit cake, but wrapped in like powdered sugar. Yeah, and there's different versions. The kind that I like the best has like the the marzipan in there. I got a lot of it. And it's denser than a fruit cake, right? Oh, way denser. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a little compact baby that you're eating you it's eat so good so we found this place that makes these really good like fancy-ish ones you can keep the best place to get them you know like kind of uh easily available is like aldi if you have any of those nearby i think they're pretty much nationwide they're everywhere now they're popping yeah. up more places because they're a german-owned company so they always have them available and they have like usually like two or three different kinds and there was the one you know, ski bum week we had a couple of years ago. I think I had like three of them that week. Just Let's just say, I guess when they make a stolen, it's like a lot of butter. It's kind of like a pound cake thing where it's like butter. It's just like simple ingredients. And then like 
like candy, uh, dried fruit or whatever, right? And nuts in there. Pretty much, yeah. It's uh, you know, there's usually like cherry, raisin, um, some other like mystery green and yellow things, <laughs> and then the good ones have like a lot of marzipan in there, and then it's some sort of like sometimes powdered sugar or whatever on the outside. They weigh about five pounds, right? Pretty much, yeah. They're like you know, they're about the size of like a a, a fifteen inch MacBook. Like lengthwise and maybe about two thirds of the the width, and about four times the height. They are delicious. So yeah, so I've been eating a lot of stolen and a lot of cookies. And my mom made tiramisu for whatever reason on Christmas. Wow. Not complaining, but it's just like, <laughs> is this necessary? Like, why? Over the top, man. Why are you people trying to give me diabetes? Because I'm yeah. not going to not eat it. I had to have a sit down with my mom because she was like cooking. Because if anybody doesn't know, I'm staying with her, and she was making uh, Christmas cookies for like literally a week, mm-hmm. and then in the middle of that, she's like making all this special stuff, like rice pudding and all this other stuff she's making, and like, oh, I'm making it to give to people, but I have some for you here, and I'm like, all right, I'm really gonna have a problem now, either with my diabetes or with my weight or just whatever, just getting fat, you know? Why do we? Why do we feel like we have to give people gifts of diabetes? Like, I mean, everyone wants to bring a dessert or something. It's like, you're just getting me fat and you're trying to kill me quicker. Well, you know, if you don't have diabetes, then you're, you're just eating it and living large. Then you're just watching your, you know, watching your weight. There's going to be a time in the future where we're going to look back and they're going to go, they people just give each other sugar all the time. Like, didn't they realize that was poison? Well, they're going to have a cure for diabetes. And they were like, why did they even watch? Like, well, what's so bad about sugar? If they do have a cure for diabetes or a way to like just turn <laughs> sugar into muscle, I would just eat stolen and like barbecue ribs. Like all, <laughs> that's all I would eat, like ever. <laughs> barbecue stolen. <laughs> barbecue rib. Rib stolen. You know those like pork buns you get, like the Japanese restaurants, like stolen barbecue rib buns. Oh, you can have a sandwich, like a, a short rib sandwich on a stolen. Dude, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> just cut the stone in half. It'd be like a big hoagie. Just have, eat that. Like the McRib. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the McRib on a stolen. The McRib on a stolen. McDonald's, if you're listening. And you know what? Fuck it. Just battery and deep fry like a Monte Cristo. Like, you know, <laughs> like a Monte Cristo. That's Why? right. If anybody doesn't know what a Monte Cristo is, the best the best part is not knowing and then realizing. Holy shit, that's a fried sandwich. <laughs> it's a fried sandwich. I ate like a bunch of them. I was like, I love this shit. What is it? It's like a it's a grilled sandwich. They're like, no, it's battered and deep fried. I'm like, really? I'm not breathing so good. This is uh this is tasty, but I'm not doing so well here. When I first found out like how they made it, I was watching a cooking show. I'm like, God damn, I gotta stop eating them more than twice a week. <laughs> Dude, just that's that's it bad. It would be stolen a stolen rib sandwich, Monte Cristo. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Why the fuck not, right? That would actually be an awesome apres ski meal, you know? You get like have it like oh. just cut it in like little like fingers. You know, like little finger sandwiches. Yeah. Well instead of cornbread, you do the stolen on the side with the with the uh pulled pork. Yeah. I think that's a that's a good trade off right there. It's not bad. Like little mini stolens, like they make the uh cornbread. Mm-hmm. Like little mini cornbread, just make a mini stolen. Have that with your uh with your barbecue. Mini stolen. Mm, got the nuts and fruit in there. Yeah. Wait, that might work. Like a little personal stolen loaf. 
Yeah, I'm gonna open up an experimental restaurant down here and just like have all this weird shit. Truck. Just get a food truck. Food, yeah, food truck. Yeah. Pop up food truck. So basically, it'd be an illegal food truck that I just drive around that nobody knows where it's gonna be. Dude, creepy what dude. Man, it's like creepy dude, but <laughs> I don't know. He had some food no, that was so really much. good. <laughs> all right, what are you drinking, bro? All right, again. Now that was yeah, quite the little tangent there, but it all started with me just eating like a fucking savage the last two weeks. So I've decided to try to get back on track and I'm drinking a GT's Synergy Organic Kombucha. It's the Euphoria one, which is the one that's chocked full of ginger and cayenne pepper. And I think I've had it before on the podcast and it is, uh, you know what it is? It's good. It's almost like if you could take one of those like kitchen, like dishwasher scrub brushes and like just, or like a, like a snake that a plumber would use, like jamming it through your whole system. Wow. So is it, everything out. The is it hot going in and hot going out? Oh, yeah, big time. It's Damn. like, uh, you know, you got like a, you're putting the fire hose down a, a rodent hole, you know? So it's like the rotor rooter for people that are. Rotor rooter for people, yep. So this is something actually we could recommend to all our view or all our listeners that, uh, you know, if you ate a lot during the holiday, Throw one of these in your diet, right? Definitely. It's like a sriracha enema, you know? <laughs> sriracha you know what? Enema. There's another product that, that's not on the market that, that easily could be. How about sriracha and then the enema company combine it together? Sriracha. You just make your own. Just make your own concoction. You could do the uh, kombucha right in an enema. Well, it's like kombucha in and enema. Together, they could just be uh, an unstoppable force of health. I re- I read something and I wanted to try it, but I never did. But they were talking about a um, a coffee enema, where you get organic coffee, brew it strong, whatever. You do a whole enema of it. It's supposed to like promote your um, your autoimmune system. It's supposed to like boost it, like your liver and everything. And I'm like, this sounded great, and I was all like, all right, I'm gonna try this. And I'm like, yeah, I can't do that. You walk in a Starbucks, pull your pants down. You're like, you guys do the coffee enema here? Can you fill this up? Can you refill this? I have a grande enema. <laughs> grande enema, organic, uh, no soy. <laughs> no soy, just black. <laughs> so we got Starbucks after hours. Yeah, that's what happens when they close. Mm, yeah. so everybody rolls up. Hey, you got any cold Starbucks there? You got to do my enema. I need a cold brew. They Wait. say, well, they say it like goes right to your system and it like boosts your all your organs. I guess it's kind of like. They do the anal chugging now in college because, you know, they got to one-up everybody else. So they put the vodka right in their anus. Um, and I guess it goes right to their system. So yeah, I guess I'm, it's kind of like a that. I'm a vodka tampon purist myself. Vodka tampons. That'll work too. Um, you know, up the ass, in the vagina, whatever you want to do with those things. Wherever you got a hole. Yeah. You just soak, soak, insert, repeat if you can. Uh, I think somebody died doing that, right? Recently? Um, I'm sure they did. If not, uh, they died inside. Let's put it that way. So did they die? Yes. Whether figuratively or literally. Yep. Rough way to go. Not recommended. (laughs) All right, Brian. So what else do we have, uh, in the, uh, in our operate? On that wonderful note. Yes. We got an interesting little crossover story here. The Rebel Coast Winery is now creating a Sauvignon Blanc. That is infused with THC and will be sold in California starting in January of 2018 when recreational marijuana becomes 
legal. Mm, sounds yummy. This is pretty cool because the wine is taken through a special process. It actually it pulls out the alcohol. So you get high because of the THC, but there's no drunkenness or hangover. Oh, uh, so I guess if you're a, a – theoretically, I don't know if they would want to try this, but if you're a recovering alcoholic, there's actually no alcohol in it? Right. Exactly. Wow. All right. I like this. I like the way this is going. Yeah, they're saying there's about four milligrams of THC per glass. Which is good because a gummy's like, what, 10? Yeah, well, between probably five and 20, depending on who's making them. But they, yeah, say, we, they say usually 10. Yeah, we've had like other products that were like five or two and a half. The sprays were like two and a half per yeah. or two. Four is a good dose. That's, that's not bad. That's nice. Yeah, it's not bad at all. So that's, uh, you know, if you don't want to get that, that boozy feeling, but you want to have a nice glass of wine, this could be an interesting method. And even better, only 35 calories per glass. Boom. Have that with your Christmas meal or your Thanksgiving dinner. That'd be great. Bring that to Thanksgiving. Yeah. Ooh. You know, it'd be great. Now, this is a Sauvignon Blanc. So that's a white wine, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, see, they need to have a red version. Because then imagine taking that and, like, bringing it to church. And putting it in like the uh, blood of Christ wine. Oh, like, I'm sure somebody's gonna do that today. It's all today. You can make a nice. Uh, I tell you what, that would be good though. Um, Thanksgiving dinner, you got your Sauvignon Blanc with your turkey. Afterwards, you know the nap you would have. Mm. You'd have a happy nap, just like right out, man. Between mm. the turkey and that. Now, if you if you were making like a roux, perhaps or a gravy with it. If you boiled it, because you know when you boil, you know, wine or beer, it, it cooks the alcohol out. Right. Would it cook the THC out? I don't think it cooks off the same. I don't think so either, right? That wouldn't make sense because the alcohol just burns off because of the uh, the boiling point. point. Yep. And I don't yeah. think THC. Let me see the THC uh, burning boiling point of THC. I mean, you're burning, you know, two hundred whatever degrees when you're when you're smoking it, right? Because, yeah. When you're yeah, well, it's four hundred degrees, isn't it? Uh, Ray Bradbury? Isn't that what yeah, there you go. Got to go with Ray Bradbury. I'll defer to that. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Bro- yeah. Boiling point of THC. I'm, that's even a thing. I, I don't know. They're don't probably going to be like, you're ridiculous. I don't think there is one. 314 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, well, then I was way off. Wow. Like, smoke, like if you're smoking a joint then, would that burn off the THC? And that's verified by High Times. So that actually goes into what they were talking about. Remember they were talking, we did a story and they had some advice. I think it was either Leafly or, or one or the other, maybe High Times was on. But they were actually saying um, that's why they have uh, temperature adjusters. On the vaporizers. On the vaporizer because you burn it at different yeah. temperature. Right. That's right. So 316 like at the boiling point, which... I guess before then you're just extracting it, you know, within what you want. Yeah, you want. They usually say like you want to be in the middle range of the uh, the vaporizers because that's usually the the sweet spot. Right. So you'll get the THC, but you got to get it released from whatever you it's in. So if you're burning herb, I guess you know the herb burns at a certain temperature, and you're releasing the smoke with the THC in it, which hasn't burnt up. So very interesting. That could be cool then to mess with. Mess with the uh, your uh, your sauces and ruse. 
if you want yeah. to kick up your meals a bit too. You can actually take those two wines, like that wine and a regular wine, and you can mix the two. Then you get a little bit of alcohol and a little bit of THC. Oh, there you go. Could be like a whole like wine blending phenomenon starting up. Half and half it, yeah. Half and half, a black and tan. Black and tan. Oh, white, white. Double white. Double white. Good, double wide? Uh, a flat white, uh, but in wine. <laughs> a Walter and Skyler. Walter, ah, there you go. Oh. Yo, Mr. White. <laughs> ah, I missed that show. Maybe I did miss that show. I got to binge it again soon. Although the Tuco, the Tuco episodes are going to get me all hopped up. I don't know. <laughs> I, I got to space those out a little bit more. That's right. All right, so that's a nice, uh, nice crossover. In- Let's get into the Genjula. So what do we got from, uh, from our pal Frank from the Bean of the Week this week? So our buddy Frank actually wrote to us, said he uh, restocked some of his supply, um, allegedly. Um, and one of the ones that he dug out this week was an old favorite uh, called Candyland. So it's a sativa strain. And uh, according to Frank, it's a good solid high that didn't put him to sleep. Um, cotton mouth and dryness are minimal. Munchies aren't too bad either, but he said he gets munchies all the time anyway. So it said it gave him a very happy functional high, uh, very happy and upbeat. And he said it was just really good stuff. So he would recommend it. I would say I would recommend it, um, before you play Candyland, maybe with your kids. Um, maybe not with your kids. I I don't know. I'm not a parent, so. Uh, I don't have any good um, parental advice on that. But they're saying the golden hairs, um, weed through candyland's thick coat of sugar-like trichromes and hide the compact camouflage colored buds. So it grows well indoors and out. And uh, patients turn to candyland to relieve pain, muscle tension, and sour moods. So yeah, sounds pretty good. It says it has an uplifting and stimulating effect. Uh, perfect strain for local gatherings or creative pastimes. So, sounds like a podcast version, if you ask me. <laughs> you probably wouldn't want to do your taxes on it. <laughs> <laughs> then again, you'd be happy doing your taxes. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but for like, yeah, for podcasting, or if you're going for a hike, if you're gonna, you know, change your oil. Although, if you're in Britain and you're going to hike the highest peak in Britain. You may have too much. Mm, that's true. Remember those fools? Oh, I sure do. That's awesome. Was it like 490 feet or something? Yeah, they just got stone as stone as all bejesus. Well, you know, we're on our, our one of our favorite sites, Leafly, and the first highlight of the uh, you know based on the reviews of Candylands. Now, this this is has sold me already. It says, love at first hit. No eye, no dry eyes or dry mouth. If I had a boyfriend, he would be in trouble because it makes me horny. Oh, damn. And now i got to read the full review. Hold on a sec. That is the full review. It's already done. Uh, Actually, wow. No. Any more? Nope. He or Did she? it? Was yeah. this review helpful? Yes, it was. Runaway Beauty. Wow. Reviews if you want to look at those by yourself later on after the podcast. Ooh, hello. Glass of THC Chardonnay. <laughs> THC Chardonnay. And Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon, that's right. 
Nice. And we got one story while we're still here in the gondola. Medical, this is from Rolling Stone magazine. Medical pot is our best hope to fight the opioid epidemic. And, you know, we've had a bunch of stories over in the past, you know, reiterating the same point over and over again. Uh, I think it's important that we do kind of keep pounding it into people and presenting new facts and evidence and stories and examples because, you know, something has to change, something has to give. We have to move, change, evolve. And it's cannabis seems to be the, the, the best way to move forward towards the right direction. Um, so the article talks about the pharmaceutical company Insys Therapeutics, which gave a million or half a million dollars to the campaign to stop marijuana legalization in Arizona. Hmm, why would you? <laughs> Think of doing that. It's crazy, right? It's like a whole conspiracy thing going. Yeah. Well, the reason why is their flagship prescription opioid spray made from fentanyl, an incredibly addictive and deadly drug estimated to be about 50 times stronger than heroin. Hmm. Damn. And cannabis, they know, could disrupt the $24 billion market for painkillers and cost them business. Huh. Aw, poor shitty fucking insist therapeutics. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. So you know, I definitely. And this is like a well in depth research article. Like it was well done article. I gotta yeah. say. Yeah, you know, and again, I'm I'm not some freaking socialist hippie who you know thinks everyone should be you know get everything for free and all. But you know, there's a there's a point where capitalism has has just kind of spiraled out of control, and you know, profiting off of you know people's misery and and you know. And, you know, death, it's just, you know, there's got to be a point where you draw the line. And to have our just some of these dumb fucking old politicians who keep hammering this old stupid war on drugs rhetoric, which has not worked ever, ever, ever. It's just, it's, it's pathetic, really, is what it is. Because these people work for us. We've, we've put them in power, and they're the ones that are, uh, you know, just spewing all this old nonsense and nothing that's that's backed by new science and new evidence. Yeah. It's like, it's like, I'm going to go buy a car. What are you going to buy? Well, you know what? I like the 63 Corvair. It's got a lot of great features. You know, it explodes on contact. That's great. <laughs> you know? it's, it's got 104 horsepower. Wonderful. You know, it gets three miles to the gallon. Great. You, know, you wouldn't be driving a car with that technology why are you using the same evidence and data from back then to make a medical decision? Well, it's a whole idea that people generally accept what they're given, right? So we don't know any better. So we're given this, we've been fed this our whole lives. Now we know a little bit better and we know a little bit more about what's good and bad for us. And I don't, you know, I don't see opioids being as prevalent as they are today. And uh, it's just a matter of time as everybody starts legalizing, you know, Massachusetts is going to come online middle of next year. Um, was, we have California coming in January. So once those get online, there's going to be more research done. Um, people are going to be able to find um, definite different and better treatments uh, rather than some of the pharmaceuticals we have out there. And it's going to be a game changer. It's yeah. slowly, you know, it's, it's been slow to change and it's getting to a point where just like everything, it's, uh, you know, um, a tipping point. Yeah. Tipping point. People there. Yeah. And it just kind of sways the, uh, the, the public sentiment. And that's, that's definitely happened with cannabis over the last 10 years. 
Yeah. Um, you look at charts of, you know, percentage of people who would want to legalize it, you know, 15 years ago versus now. I mean, it's, it's inverted pretty much. It's crazy. Yeah. I actually met somebody that's in Florida. They're trying to get their, um, their license to be a distributor and grower of uh, CDB, mm-hmm. which is non THC. So it's uh, definitely medical treatment. Um, and they said it's it's such a political thing to to get through the process, but you know they're going through it, and uh, she's you know forging ahead. And uh, it's uh, it's one of those things that you gotta you gotta kind of believe in it, even if you're in it for the money. But you know it's just there's a lot of a lot of people are trying to put a lot of roadblocks in the way, and those are slowly slowly getting easier to navigate, which is good. And the only people that are putting roadblocks in the way is because financially it affects them you know there's like what's the old saying is like a a man cannot see the truth if he is financially incentivized you know to to be against it i'm totally butchering the quote but you know that's that's kind of the the premise of this too you know if if you're the one making you know getting kickbacks from the prison guard unions and you know the dea why would you ever you know take that that cash cow away from yourself of course you don't ruin out. You you don't kill the goose that lays the golden eggs, right? There you go. What other cliches can we throw in there? There's plenty of them. Bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, but it's just it's just frustrating and stupid. And you know, I just I, and I, you know, this is a skiing podcast. I know we kind of rant about this stuff a lot, but you know, part of the greatest thing about skiing is you know that feeling of freedom that's so rare these days because you've got speed limits, you've got airbags, you've got all this, you know everything that just tries to like numb and mute your experiences. And, you know, skiing is one of those things where it's, it's you, the mountain and gravity. And like, let's see who wins. You know, that's, that's all it is. It's, there's no speed limits. There's no, there's nothing stopping you from just being as, you know, fast and free and crazy as you want to be, you know, that, that feeling is, is so rare. And it's the same thing with, you know, something like a, like a cannabis, it's a natural thing and it's, it's being, you know, tucked away and, and blamed villainized by people who don't understand what it's about. It's like someone trying to ban skiing, you know, Again, it's and skiing, of- skiing and boarding and cannabis, they kind of go hand in hand. I mean, yeah. for years people have been unofficially treating themselves with cannabis for pain and for fatigue and muscle ache. And that's just kind of how it's gone. Yeah. And there's, there's definitely like a, a freedom vein that runs in both those you know, both those communities. That's, I think, where the where the connection lies. So, you know, we're going to keep talking about it. We're going to keep fighting for it, keep advocating for it. And, uh, you know, if you like it, great. If you don't, that's great too, you know. But it's, uh, the fact that people are trying to stop people from medicating and, and you know, activating themselves to a, a different, you know, thought process or different state of mind, I think is just, it's it's stupid. It's selfish. It's there's, it's It's a, you know, incentivized by unpure and evil reasoning. All right. Enough about that. I've ranted long enough. That works. Let's go to Ski News. This is a nice, lovely, terrifying story here. (laughs) 150 skiers were rescued from stalled ski lift in the French Alps. So this was on, was this? This was like today or yesterday. Christmas, I think, or Christmas Eve. This was uh, 
<laughs> the photos and the videos of this are bananas. Um, this happened on Sunday, so that would be Christmas Eve. Uh, they had to deploy two helicopters to help skiers who were stuck in a number of cars along the lift in Shamru's resort. French, French officials told ABC News the cars were nearly 100 feet off the ground. Hmm. Somehow it only took less than two hours to rescue all the, the stranded skiers. So when I first heard the story, I didn't quite understand how it happened. I thought maybe it was like one big like tram. And then I'm like 150 people, like trams don't hold that many people. Um, and then just, you know, further looking into it. Yeah. Seeing all those little, you know, regular gondolas, you know, like gondolas, yeah. 10, 12 person gondola, depending on how big they were. They yeah, had- so lift shut down, right? Yeah. Wow. But they said it involved rescuers being lowered from helicopters onto the roofs and then lowering people with a rope. Yeah. Oh my, that's pretty wild. There's a couple of pictures in the video of it and it is, oh, it just looks awful. <sighs> Not fun. Well, that's an experience, right? Yeah. Well, you know what? That's why, you know, that's what these, you know, ski patrol, what they get, you know, what their, their job is, you know, they've been doing this. They prepare for this. They, um, they have their protocols, their, the ways they handle this. And, uh, you know, everyone got off and got, you know, down safely. It's pretty incredible. That's cool. I wonder if they threw them like some sort of, uh, you know, free lift ticket or, you know, voucher at the schnitzel hut or something schnitzel hut i like it schnitzel hut voucher schnitzel hut guys. free schnitzel that died well it's france so what do they have in france free cheese and camembert or something free, i don't know something perhaps yeah it should be yeah. they probably said no thank you very much get the hell out <laughs> <laughs> happens all the time sorry yeah that's funny yeah, let's check out some of these videos. It's uh, it's yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah, it's cool to see. All right, next we got a uh, record-setting cable car in Germany's highest peak opened on Friday, which is Zugspitze. Zugspitze, which is uh, two days before Christmas. Um, so it was a historical moment um, on the Zugspitze. So three years planning, construction just finished, and the maiden voyage went. And they actually said they boast three records for this one uh, cable car. They're saying 127 meters of the world's highest steel support for aerial tramways. I guess that's one record. World's largest overall height difference, um, 1,945 meters in one section, which that's got to be pretty terrifying when you're on it, I guess. Um, And the world's longest free span of 3,213 meters. So that's pretty, pretty interesting. So uh, they're saying it has like a really cool panoramic view and there's a video that we'll have on our site that, uh, that has, uh, you know, the view that you get and shows the, uh, the Zugspitze. Yeah. The video is awesome. I mean, there's one part too, where they show them building it and there's a dude like standing on the edge (laughs) on like the ledge there. Oh my God, is it terrifying? That's awesome. That's like when we were at J Peak and the uh, the dude was up on top of the tram, like hitting the ice as we're going on it. It was pretty, That's pretty badass. Want. It was pretty badass, though. I gotta say, he was he looked like I think it was Uller that was up there. He it was actually like yeah, 
It was Uller himself. He had the big beard and it was all white. Crazy. Yeah, the, the cable car too. I mean, it looks gigantic. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> when you look at it, it looks almost like two trams put together. Like, it looks yeah. really wide. Yeah, it looks pretty big. I wonder how many people it holds. Yeah, can we find Like, Do we have that in the article? You're going to have to look up Zugspitze. Zugspitze cable car. Yeah, the, the views are dynamite, though, and yeah, it looks, uh, kudos to those dudes building it, because that's not a looking job. So they're saying it's about 53 euro to ride it. Euro. If you go one way, it's 31 euro. The Zeus pizza. Okay, 100, 100 people each, so it's like the Jackson Hole tram, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And they say you can enjoy a glacier walk or treat yourself to some thrilling tobogganing on a natural snow track. Mm. Mm. Thrilling tobogganing. Very nice. And enjoy a nice meal up there. We all know how those European uh, quote-unquote toboggan runs are. Oh, they have a little map of it. It's pretty cool. It's right near, it's not too far from um, Garmisch, which I've seen Signs for, but Osterfiedlerkopf is not too far. Alpspitze and Zugspitze are near each other. I guess so those are the two mountains. Nice. Very interesting. All right, next up is coming from Mammoth Mountain. Committed to big air bags, that is. Ooh. Yeah. What do we have here? Uh, Mammoth Mountain out in California became the first ski resort to utilize a nearly 200-foot airbag on the snow. It's the latest move in Mammoth's quest to be the mecca of free ski training. Wow. Progression airbags, as they're known, are utilized by athletes for training purposes, allowing them to attempt tricks in a realistic setting with decreased risk of injury. Considered great big Pillow soft airbags by one skier's account. These creations are in fact ultra durable. They resist sharp ski edges and ski poles. And they've also been used by professional snowmobilers, motocross riders, BMX, and also mountain bikers, all with heavy duty equipment. The bags come in a variety of shapes and sizes, but as aforementioned, only three of the 200 foot variety have been produced. Two of those. Three bags are currently in use at dry slope facilities, one outside of Montreal, the other in Park City. And only one has been integrated into a true snow park. So, hmm. you know what? Whenever you see those dudes in like the X Games or, you know, whatever, like doing these ridiculous jumps, you know, it's not that they just started doing that on the mountain. You know, yeah, like, you, don't, you don't try that in practice and there's regular. so much yeah. practice using those foam pits in the summer and now having an airbag like that's going to make that you know i i wonder if this is going to just take it to the next level i mean the the bar is so ridiculously high now for the tricks i guess this is only gonna push it even further right well it's the availability of the high-tech you know um equipment to train that allows people to progress so quickly and, and so non-dangerously as it was before that mm -hmm. I think you're just going to see more people doing these crazy tricks that they've just practiced and gotten good at because they're able to without killing themselves, you know? Yeah. So it's pretty, pretty amazing time to be 
you know, young and, and starting out and, and trying all this new stuff out. It's got to be pretty cool. Yeah. So this is, uh, is this like officially up and running now? Uh, I think they have a schedule. They have the one and they have like, I think they're planning to have a whole bunch more. I think they do have the one. This one's already out though, right? The yeah. One? Or it's coming out in like January. No, I think it, they're using it already. They are, right? And they actually said, uh, so the article has, they talk about um, Devin Logan, um, who's actually, I guess he's the 2014 Olympic silver medalist in slope style. Um, and three times X game medalist. And he's Olympic hopeful and he's training on it. He's from Mount Snow. Mount Snow, look at that. So they're saying, um, yeah, she uh, she's training on it, and only three such airbags exist in the world. So they're saying it's uh, it's really cool for them to have to train. Yeah. So it's pretty neat. It's it's good to see. Very cool. <clears throat> well, it's also mammoth. Uh, good draw to say, hey, why don't you come train here, you know, versus somewhere else. Yeah. Helps everybody out. Like Indeed. it. All right. So next up we have Liftopia came out with their best in snow awards, top ski areas in North America. Now, what they did is they got more than um, 1,200 people, skiers and snowboarders, uh, snowboarders to respond and they took into consideration uh, a few factors. They took in cost, snowmaking, size, accessibility, and activity. So they used that coming from other people, um, you know, from, from I guess, viewers or, or readers. Um, and they used that to come up with different categories of best overall, best uh, beginner friendly, family friendly, least crowded, most challenging best value and best snow consistency and quality. Uh, and they put all that data together. And what they came up with was their snow awards. So uh, Brian and I went through these. I have my comments on some of them, so does he. Um, we'll just go through some of them. Uh, we'll, we'll alternate these. So I'll do best overall in North America. Do it. So number one was Magic Mountain, Vermont. Boom. Boom. Um, that was number one in the Northeast. Number one in the high West was Alta, Utah. Number one in the Southeast, uh, Cannon Valley, West Virginia. Uh, number one in the Midwest, Mount Bohemia, Michigan. And number one on the West Coast, uh, Revelstoke Mountain, BC. So some of the comments, I'm like, Magic Mountain in Vermont on the East Coast? What? So... I don't know. You got to take them with a grain of salt, I guess, you know, based on their ranking. This is how they no, came they up. Have, they have the best. I mean, they have the overall awards too. Yeah. Why don't you do the overalls? All right. So this is, this, you know, I found this kind of extremely surprising, um, but we'll, we'll talk about that after. So this is the top overall ski areas and it takes into all the criteria that, you know, Mario mentioned. Um, they blended that feedback, like resort size, cost, and crowd, to bring you the best in snow awards. And um, number one, Magic Mountain in Vermont. Number two, Alta, Utah. Number three, Mad River Glen, Vermont. Number four, Snowbird, Utah. 
Number five, A Basin, Colorado. Number six, Powder Mountain, Utah. Number seven, Jay Peak, Vermont. Number eight, Mount Bohemia, Michigan. Number nine, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Number 10, Bald Mountain, Idaho. Hmm. Now, of those, I would say about six of those are a surprise. Yeah. If you're talking the top ski resorts in North America. Yeah, that's... The U.S. No, North America. Those are very surprising. Um, yeah, for overall, like, that's just, I don't know, weird. I mean, yeah, I'd see Alta, Snowbird, J, uh, Jackson Hole all being in the top five. But, I mean, resort size costs crowds, and then they take in terrain and all the other stuff, snowmaking. I don't understand how Magic Mountain gets up in there. Yeah, so they have a methodology page that they talk about in this. And um, so this is powered by Liftopia. And it, it is the first and only list that ranks the best ski areas in North America. The list is based on feedback from thousands of skiers and snowboarders combined with Liftopia's proprietary data set, which levels the playing field between big and small resorts to uncover the true top ski areas across North America based on what matters most to consumers. Hmm. And then they did have their own other categories like family friendly, beginner friendly, least crowded, best snow, best value, most challenging, things like that. So they said step one is who? Thousands of passionate skiers and boarders. uh, What those customers say ski areas do best. Number two, how? It's survey results, number of ski area guests, skiable acres, and cost of skiing. And then they have their proprietary algorithm, which... uh, they said, yeah, like play, levels the playing field between the big and small resorts. And then the criteria, like, you know, we talked about already, beginner-friendly, family-friendly, most challenging, least crowded, best snow quality, best value. And that, um, so at the bottom here, so we just kind of mentioned the top 10. That was best in snows, overall top 10. Using the raw data, so without the, you know, their proprietary algorithm. Number one was Alta. Number two was Snowbird. Number three was Vale. Number four was Jackson Hole. Or I'm sorry, Whistler. Number five was Jackson Hole. Six was A Basin. Seven was Breckenridge. Eight was Killington. Nine was Park City. And 10 was Copper. So those are the ones you would kind of expect. Right. See. Raw data seems like what you would expect, right? Yeah. And I just... I. Like they come out with most challenging in North America and they're saying in the Northeast magic mountain is the most challenging. And I'm like, I don't know. I haven't skied magic, but I would say probably not in the Northeast. I don't know. I can't even believe that. I mean, just based on where it's located. And again, I, I, I haven't been there and I've had the biggest heart on for it the last two months, ever since we had a uh, rich from all about Apray on like the first time. Yeah, We're talking about the the one bar there. I forget what the hell it's called, the Black Room or something. And uh, we talked about it on the podcast before when you know we were doing the Mount Snowhouse a bunch of years ago. How the the guy who owned it would always talk about going to Magic on a Powder Day. And uh, I'm just I'm so just all I think about. Well, not all, but eighty percent of what I think about is Magic Mountain these days. And like, how have I not seen this? And what, you know, how do I get up there? And you know, why have I not gone? Well, I wonder, like, the most challenging, are they judging it on one run or overall terrain, percentage-wise? Like, it's just, I don't know. It's got to be overall. I mean, 
And are they using percentages or are they using acreage of like saying, okay, this is advanced, you know, terrain and, you know, bigger mountains going to have a huge amount of acreage. Well, it says in here, uh, these are the ski areas that respondents said offer the most difficult runs. Participants took into consideration vertical drop, terrain variety, and difficulty, including glades and off-piste and snow conditions. I look at this list, wow. and Jackson Hole is three behind Magic and Mad River Glen. Oof. I just can't even wrap my head around that. I just had a... We're getting had morning, zoo. morning Zoo Radio here. Morning Zoo Radio. I just, I just had to do that. Yeah. And then I'm looking at the rest of this list, and it's cool. Something like Silverton's on there, number eight. You know, awesome. But like Telluride is not on there. Yeah, what's up with that? But Cannon Mountain, New Hampshire is. Yeah. So definitely something in their proprietary algorithm and the data that they put together comes out with this result. So... <laughs> I mean, top most challenging ski areas in North America, and there's three from Vermont and one from New Hampshire and one from Michigan. Like that just, I mean, Jack, Whistler's not on here. Revelstoke's not on here. Mm, Revelstoke is most challenging. They were on there a few times. But in this list, most challenging, they're not on it. Yeah. So I, this... I, I, I don't really understand this list, to be honest with you. It was a bunch of angry Sox fans who just went on there, dude, and bombarded the results. We got to get magic on there and Mad River. It's out, it's out of control. We got we to gotta, we gotta shake the vote. That's the only explanation. Won't get out to vote for the president, but you'll get out to vote for this. Bunch of angry passing Red Sox <laughs> fans getting on there. <laughs> Uh, it could be Vermontians just getting out and supporting their Vermont. He's like, dude, snowbirds for queers. Why are you going to Utah? Just go to the Vermont. Vermont drinks Vermont, and they vote Vermont. That's what happens. Exactly. New England. Through and through. Pants. Yeah. I, uh, it's, Incredible. I, uh, I just I find the list. I, I don't Puzzling. get around it. I just can't. Well, see, the good part of, of reading a list like this is it, it has a whole conversation around it. Now you start talking to your buddies like, all right, I saw this list. What do you guys think? And then you start getting a little consensus and getting feedback, and then you start talking stories, and then you start realizing, you know, that's how you get a, a place on your list. Like, all right, I've heard a lot of good stuff, and now i got to go see it for myself. You know what I mean? I mean, the list, like you just – so I'm looking at the top, the top best value ski areas. Again, Magic River – Ma uh, Magic River. I'm combining the two. Isn't that adorable? Magic, Magic River. Mad River. Mount Bohemia. Mad Magic River. <laughs> Bald Mountain, Powder Mountain, Alta, JP, A Basin, Anthony Lakes, Oregon, and Snowbird. So you get a lot of the same ones. It seems like Utah and Vermont are the best places to ski based on these lists. Based on those lists, yeah. You know, I mean, look at it. You got half, more than half of the top 10 are from either Vermont or Utah. Based on where the sponsorship comes from. Oh, did I say that out loud? I'm joking. Yeah, hope you think. Disclose some of your uh, yeah. If that's plays into your your results here, that that could play into the proprietary formula. How much advertisement comes with the? I don't know. I'm just saying. I don't know. It's just it it's good because it stirs a conversation of like, what do you think and why? You know, it's good a uh, good thing to throw out there. 
So if you're driving with somebody and you're going skiing now, uh, you're listening to us, you know, everybody's got their opinion of what their best place is or what their favorite place is. So Mm -hmm. discuss amongst yourselves and actually let us know what you guys think too. Yeah. Hit us up on on our socials or email us, keybonepodcast at gmail.com and, you know, Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those places. Hit us up. Let us know what you think. And next up, you got one more, right, Brian? We sure do. And it's from Powder Magazine, the next American ski towns. We talk a lot about this kind of stuff because I'm I'm fascinated by skiing and ski towns and ski bum life and real estate and how it you know how you can make it all work to to live that ski bum dream. Which Where could you move to, right? That kind of where stuff. Where the whole podcast kind of stemmed from, and you know, our whole you know goals in our lives. And uh, this was share house, and we got to do something about where we live, and then it leads you to this kind of topic. Absolutely. So this is from Powder, and this just came out. I think we're filming or recording this on the twenty seventh. It came out today, and it just talks about, you know, you think about like the quintessential ski towns. You know, Jackson, Telluride, Mammoth, classic, as they say, cute as a button ski communities but are no longer realistic places to move to. Um, But weekend stops where one might find a cool Airbnb while flexing another stop on their mountain collective pass. (laughs) Um, And it talks about average home prices in Bozeman, 410, Whitefish, 519, Mammoth Lakes, 539, Truckee, 704, Telluride, 1.2 million, Jackson Hole, 1.4 million, Trailers in Aspen are going for half a mil. A recent headline, Dale Daily, housing in Summit County, too expensive to hire housing director. You know, talk to anyone in the ski town who does hiring, and it's the same story. Plenty of jobs, nowhere to live. We talked about that. Yeah, that's what... Moved to Whistler last year and talking to a bunch of folks there. It's crazy. I mean, there's just a shortage of places to live for for those people. You can't even get workers to live there. It's nuts. Yeah, so they're saying that young and adventurous people aren't moving to ski towns. You know, they're unable to afford the old ones, so they're making new ones. Um, the more urban centers they're trending towards are farther from the lifts, but still have incredible access, a more diverse economy, and affordable housing rental market. Maybe even a little bit of culture. So these aren't exactly, the, you know, ski and ski out places, but they're places that offer, you know, kind of the best of, of everything. And... Number one on this list is Reno, Nevada. Not nice. exactly Las Vegas. Popular. I kind of like Reno. It's a little seedy, but a little cool and quaint. So it was kind of nice. Yeah, we were there a while ago and we really didn't get a very, I mean, all we really saw was the, you know, what, five blocks near the hotel in right. Reno. Yeah. To get like the degenerate. It's like being in Atlantic City. Well, Atlantic, no. I, that's what I thought was telling <laughs> Atlantic City in the mountains versus, you know, on the beach. Yeah. But now they're saying, you know, with uh with Reno, you have Tesla building the Gigafactory out there. So it's kind of a cool tech scene, a lot of jobs. And you're twenty five miles from uh Mount Rose. Nice. A totally legit mountain and another probably what an hour and a half to uh to Lake Tahoe. Yeah. That's nice you got the the airport right there. So, you know, depending on work and stuff, because I think that's what a lot of this this you know article talks about is uh, they kind of point to places that are a little bit more urban where there's other jobs there, so you can make a living and then still be close to skiing. So 
Yeah, they're saying, you know, a lot of uh, Silicon Valley spillover plus newly legal recreational cannabis. Oh, there you go. Huge industry. Yeah, a lot of outdoor, you know, besides skiing, you got paddling, hiking, biking, all nearby. Very cool. And then uh, the next one, one that we're familiar with, Waterbury, Vermont. <laughs> it's a nice. starting to look like a ski town. Population, 5,000 people. And uh, median home price is 288K. And you're hmm. 17 miles from a chairlift. That seems really inaccurate. I, uh, I think you're 17 miles from Stowe. But I think like Bolton Valley is a lot closer. And then Mad River and the other one, Sugarbush. I think are pretty close to that too. Huh. We definitely spent some time in Waterbury. Um, oh, they're saying uh, Bolton, Sugarbush, Stowe are all less than 20 miles away. So they're, they're all close. Okay. So they're saying less than 20. So maybe 17. It's like, it's very like central. So you're talking 17 to 20 for, for wherever you go. Yeah. I mean, you probably have yeah, three, three decent mountains. Well, three actually quite good mountains within, you know, 30 minute ride. That's awesome. So yeah, they talk about Waterbury and you know, there's like a funky artsy kind of downtown area. You got Ben and Jerry's factory there. You go up towards Stowe and you got Alchemist brewery. Uh, you got the cabbage hey, cheese factory there. Um, yeah. It's kind of like a satellite little funky ski town about 25 miles from Burlington too. So, you know, there is, there's a, a more of a job scene there. There's the university. Got Lake Champlain. You got Hetty Topper at Sip of Sunshine right in the wheelhouse there. And Mad Taco not too far. You got some pretty epic beers <laughs> within that area. And you're probably, what, an hour, hour, hour and a half from uh, Hill Farmstead too. Oh, yeah. That's a, a special trip. That's not far either. An hour and a half. It's a, so, yes, that's... You know, if you're on the East Coast, that's a pretty, a pretty dope spot. And then the third big name on the list. Oh, they also mentioned Prohibition Pig, which okay. haven't been there. That place is just out of this world. Awesome food. They make amazing beers, and they have tons of other local beers that are available on draft. Um, and the last one on the list, they mentioned Spokane, Washington. Not a ski town, a place where you can ski. <laughs> and uh, population is 215k, median home price 175,000, and 34 miles from a chairlift. Hmm. That's so a top I don't know three. anything about Spokane. I know it's in eastern Washington. That's about it. Yeah. Uh, it's also about a 90 minute drive to Schweitzer from there, and you also, and you can get to you know Nelson and Red Mountain in British Columbia. Huh. That's not bad. But I don't know what the closest place would be they're saying 34 miles from a chairlift yo you got gonzaga university there that's exciting if you like yeah. college basketball so 35 miles all right so now we're moving like a little bit 40 40 minute trip or so 45 in snow right something like that So Schweitzer, Mount Spokane, Silver Mountain, Lookout Pass, and 49 degrees north are all within 70 miles. And the average season pass price to ski them is 421. 
and then wow, for bucks for an adult full day lift ticket. Damn. That's pretty awesome, yeah. So yeah, and you know what it's that's the thing. If you wanna if you truly wanna live somewhere like a you know, you wanna be in a ski town, but you still need to have a job or you know, you wanna have a career. It's cool having that, you know, half an hour ability to be on the mountain. That's kind of nice. Yeah, they have a few of them uh, listed here in the article, too. Other good places. Oh, yeah, San- or Santa Fe. I missed Santa that one. Santa Fe. I mean, 15 miles from a chairlift? That's not bad. I, I never would have realized that. I don't understand. I don't know anything about the Southwest at all. It is exists, crazy. That's about it. So saying, um... Wow, it's, it's 15 miles is nothing. Uh, but they're saying it's within uh, what is it, two hours from Taos, two hours from, oh, what's the other places they have? From Wolf Creek. Wolf Creek. And then five hours from Crested Butte and six from Telluride. That's not bad. It really is not bad at all. And then it mentions a few other, uh, you know, other affordable places to live and ski. It mentions Pagosa Springs, Colorado. Wolf Creek. Creek. Joseph, Oregon. Uh, Wentachi, Washington. Bishop, California. Boise, Idaho. Kalispell, Montana. Driggs, Idaho. And Red Lodge, Montana. Yeah, Red Lodge is seven miles from skiing, so that's like right there. Driggs is pretty close, too. Yeah. It's just funny when you come, you know, you live in an area that has such ridiculous home prices, and then you look at some of these other places, you're like, okay, now I do the, we do this podcast every week, and we talk about skiing, and I live in a, I live not at the mountain, and I live in an expensive ass place. Why do I not move to a ski town? And you see articles like this, and there's actually compelling arguments. And, you know, the possibility of having a decent place to raise a family and to have a job, you know, if, if you don't want to be a, you know, a true, you know, lifty waiter, bartender, ski bum, that you can actually make this happen, you know? And it's it's really cool seeing that this is kind of changing and growing and evolving to uh, to allow that. It kind of fits right into our wheelhouse, you know, what we kind of talk about. Because we want to be a little more, we want to be ski bums, but we do it in like a baller, highfalutin way. That's right. We still have to have jobs because you got a certain quality of life right now. So, yeah, we got we got bitcoins and Teslas and things like that. We want to you know be part of too. That's right. We want to have it all. We want to have a fractional ownership of a goddamn yacht as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. We want a fractional ownership in a plane, a yacht, everything. That's right. A mansion. A mansion share. That'd be great. You want to start that? Do like a instead of a ski share, a mansion share. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right, so that wraps up the old ski news for the week. And now we're getting into our main topic. So I'm not sure if I mentioned this in the last podcast or not, but uh, I reached recently had to get a new car, um, family car. <coughs> we had a family truckster lease. And we, you know, we're in the market for something new. And there were a lot of criteria that we had to, that 
that had to be addressed when you know getting this vehicle. So you know, I mentioned it a billion times before. We have a new little baby, so it had to be, you know, had to be safe. It had to have, you know, baby seat restraints and be able to lug a lot of crap around. So, and of course it had to be a ski vehicle. It had to have all wheel drive and has to be able to plow through the snow going on our ski trips. So I looked at a bunch of different cars and I kind of had a, originally a very wide range of vehicles I was looking at, mostly SUVs and like lifted wagons. So for the SUVs, I was looking at the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the Land Rover Sport, the Lexus LX650, the Tesla Model X, the Toyota 4Runner, and the Volvo XC90. Now I've, I've had I've known a bunch of people that have Grand Cherokees, and they're all they're they're cool vehicles. I've also heard people say that engineering-wise, they're not so wonderful. Oh yeah, the Grand Cherokee. Yeah, I've heard that from some people. Um, you know, they're, they're okay. They were okay. You know, I like them. Um, I want something a little bit lighter and smaller because they are they're big, heavy. That's a full truck body, right? That that's yeah. on. Yeah, um, I'm not even sure if it's a full truck body. They're just really, they're just really heavy, big vehicles. Right. Um, the Land Rover Sport, that thing is just awesome. It was just way too expensive and it couldn't happen. Um, the Lexus LX650, if I had the money, I would probably have gotten that vehicle. It's pretty much the Land Cruiser, but it's like the Lexus version. And it has like that kind of like badass, like uh, Kylo Ren face looking grill on it. I don't know if you, did you look at any of the links that I had? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the Lexus front. No? That they, but I don't, I'm just not a fan of it. You see it on this vehicle though. See. On some of the cars, it does look a little goofy, but on this giant vehicle, I, yeah, think, I think this it's, is the best version of that face is on this vehicle. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, I just, I'm not a big fan of it. Yeah. I mean, this is their signature, so you see it and you definitely see, okay, they've stylized it to that's the Lexus. It's very like Michael Bay Transformers looking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it also starts at like $90,000, so... And if you're up in that range, why not go for the Model X? Then there's the Tesla. Yeah. The other bucks Tesla, more. Tesla Model X. And I would have loved to got that, get that gotten that one. Um, again, there's a lot of issues. The biggest one for me right now is still the uh the range range uh, concerns. You know, you you know, driving your family up to Vermont in the middle of the night, it's snowing, and you're like, Oh, I only have five miles left. Where the hell am I gonna charge this? Thing? You know. Uh, yeah. Range anxiety, I guess they call it. So that was a concern. Also, too, like if I do, if I was to ever go the Tesla route, I would want to have the roof, the solar panel roof, the power wall. So you're not just buying the car, you're buying the whole shebangy bang hookup. That's a big investment commitment. Well, they also start at what, 90 something? No, they start like 70 something, I think. 75, 70 something. And then you load them up with everything and yeah, it gets expensive. Well, I think the way I priced one out was about one fifteen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you gotta so, have like the freaking best battery and the most ex- you know the, the fastest one. So yeah, so you're from the the Jeep all the way to Tesla, and you're like, well, I don't know if I want to pay that okay. <laughs> hundred grand for right. it. Yeah. Um, and then there was the Forerunner, which I love. I freaking love the Forerunner. I've loved every one they've ever made. Um, it's just a little too Spartan for being like the, the family vehicle, you know, it's a little rough riding cause it is still on a truck platform. 
And, you know, it's not just for me. I got to make sure that the wife and the baby are, are happy and comfortable. And, and so they, you know, that was, that's why that one got scratched. I actually put, could have put in the Wrangler on here too, but exactly the exact same reasons why the foreigner was scratched is why the Wrangler got scratched too. You just got to get the weather tech pads for everything. Cause your baby's going to puke, spill everything on that. Yeah, pretty much. Make it washproof. That's all you got to do, right? Hose proof. Well, in the baby seat, when in the car seat, it's all kind of self-contained. Oh, okay. That's cool. Um, then the Volvo XC90, I really, really like too. But again, that was, it just got way too expensive, way too quick. So that's why that one got scratched off the list. Yeah, our buddy Steve has a Volvo. That's pretty nice. They're super oh, no, he doesn't have the Volvo. He has the... Um... Yeah, he does have a Volvo, right? His old one was a Volvo. I don't know if he got a new one too. Yeah, I think he has a newer one. Yeah, those are those are great. They're beautiful. They're so they're really really nice. Um, their new engines are they're a newer technology, and I, I'm curious to see how they work long term too, because they're four cylinders, but they're turbo and supercharged. Hmm. And they've been making them for I guess only you know three three years or so, three or four maybe. So it'll be you know nice to see long term if those are if they yeah have the durability. Um, so then we move on to the wagons. We've got the uh, the Audi A4 Allroad, which is pretty much an A4 wagon that's kind of lifted with a body kit. Um, check that out. Really like the seats in that car a lot. Engine was nice too. Um, but again, it was for what you got and the size of it, it was expensive. Uh, then we went to the Volvo V90 wagon, which is the very similar to the XC90, which is the SUV. This was like the wagon version. It's gorgeous. Those again, very similar interiors, similar engines, just, uh, you know, a little bit lower lying. And it was, it was big car. Like it was actually looks nicer than the SUV. I think. It does, yeah. The body, the, and it looks better than the sedan too that it's based off of the S. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just a stunning looking vehicle. Like they did a great job with that the new um, kind of corporate front they have now. Yeah, it's the right size too. I think it's actually. I like the SUV. The SUV is big though. If you want something smaller, this is perfect. The wagon is actually way bigger. It's longer. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's really big. Wow. Which is again is you know comes in handy a lot of times, um, and then the last one is the one we actually decided to go with. We went with a Subaru Outback 3.6R Touring. Nice. Um, yeah, they they just redesigned it for this year. They they changed the front end a bit, um, and we got the Touring one, which has instead of like the most Outbacks have like that plastic, uh, the roof rails on top. This one has the flush mount metal ones, um, like a lot of the the fancier SUVs. So I had to buy all the you know the whole like Thule fit kit and the crossbars, but you get a better, stronger um, uh, fitting, uh, like a footing and fitting for the uh, the box that we got. We got like a, a Thule ski box as well. Nice. And uh, you know what? The car it handles more like a car than an SUV, which I like. And I was you know I, after driving the Grand Cherokee. Um, you know, the V6, uh, the Subaru with the six cylinder, it's a, a boxer six cylinder. It sits lower in the, in the chassis. So you get the better handling, but, and the, the weight is significantly lower in the Subaru versus the Jeep. They're just as, it's just as fast as like a, a Hemi Grand Cherokee. 
It's crazy. Oh, nice. Like it really has some grunt to it. Yeah, with that, you don't get the best gas mileage, but you're still getting, you know, 27 on the highway. Nice. If you're driving normal. And yeah, they got it's got, you know, great leather interior. It's got good ground clearance. Um, it was just fun to drive too, like surprisingly. It just uh you know, even I had a we had a BMW X3 before and it was okay, but I didn't really have any sort of attachment or you know, didn't have any particular you know, love for the thing, which is why we didn't get another one. But for the price, the Subaru, you know, it is like the the higher end one, the Outback, the Touring with the six cylinder. But it, I love the thing. Like it's an absolute. It's fun to drive, and it's it just has this like attitude of you know whatever you want to do, let's go do it. I'm gonna go play in the mud. Great. Go play in the snow. Great. Let's go do it. So, cool. yeah, really digging it right now. Did you uh, take it in snow yet? Uh yeah. When we were in Vermont last week. We had a couple inches of snow and uh, I mean, you know, the stock wheel, the stock tires aren't unbelievable or anything. They're not snow tires. They're, you know, all seasons, which means they're mediocre in all seasons, but right. yeah, no problem plowing through everything. It was, uh, it did great. And I can't wait to throw some snow tires on it next year and, and really do some, uh, some damage with it. But it's just, it's just fun. Like I really just dig the car. Oh, nice. Then well, again, I'm a Subaru guy. We've had three already, and yeah. probably get a fourth one the next year. But yeah, I just, uh, I just like the all-around, you know, the versatility, the, you know, the, the, the fun, the simplicity. There's just a there's something about them that that really resonates with me, and I had great success with all the ones we've had. So, hoping to have the same, uh, <laughs> same durability and success with this one as well. Very nice. Very nice. Well. Good luck with it. Congratulations. I think uh, good choice. Good choice. Thanks. And it's, you know, I mean, it, it's so easy as a skier to just pick a Subaru too. It's because, you know, you go to any resort, probably 30% of the cars you're going to see are, are Subarus. Especially like a local where people drive a lot. You see, you see all Subarus, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's definitely Vermont. Hey, yeah. Those are, they just last. They love to play in the snow and they last. So you know. that's on the Vermont national, uh, the Vermont state flag, right? There's a Subaru it on it. There's a cannabis leaf, Bernie Sanders, and a Subaru. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much the problem, right? that's it. I think Ben and Jerry might have been like, they're like photobombing, I think, the flag. <laughs> they're in the Subaru, aren't they? Like eating ice cream or something? Nailed it. It's like the, um, what's the beer? Is it Otter Creek, which has like the dog and the guy? Oh yeah, I think so. Kind of sticking out the VW van. <laughs> nice. Yup, it's gonna be you soon. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> cool. Yeah, so we're gonna we'll post the links to all the different cars and uh, have the link to the Subaru as well. And I'll post a picture. It's uh, it came in black, which is nice. It's brown interior. Uh, I got black. Okay, cool. It's uh, it's again, you know, like, a lot of people, you know. It's, Think of Subarus as Lesbo mobiles, but you know us in the ski and boarding industry know that they are, they're our toys, they're our pets, they're 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 awesome for for doing what we need them to do. So we'll have info, skibonpodcast dot com, all the links, and you can check it out. And if you have some feedback or ideas and mods or things I should be doing, skibonpodcast at gmail dot com. Under the ropes. First off, this is from our friend at Rob Report, and you know we've talked about it already today about real estate and you know how much 
certain amount of money gets you in certain places. This article is what would $20 million get you across the United States? Well, this is good to know because uh, Powerball and Mega Millions are at like $300 million each ah, right now. There you go. So this could be a topic of you know, extreme importance in the next couple of days. All right, so they start off with a five-bedroom waterfront front home in Vashon, Washington. Hmm. Now, this is situated along 100 or 1,000 feet of water frontage on Vashon Island, off of panoramic views of Washington's sky-high snow-capped mountains. The nearly 16,000-square-foot property features five bedrooms, a library, a 10-seat movie theater, and a 2800 bottle wine cellar. Wow. Heated floors and stone furnishings sourced from a quarry Michelangelo frequented are featured prominently throughout. Hmm. Six ponds, five waterfalls, turns your outdoor spaces into an oasis. Good that it has six ponds because if we had five, that'd be bullshit. I know, right? It's, there's no way you're spending 20 million and not getting at least five ponds. At least five ponds. I mean, come on. And uh, but the property's real treasure is a private putting green, where you can perfect your golf swing. Wow! You really swing when you putt, you just kind of putt. Just so, putt, putt, yeah, yeah. I um, turned that into a hillbilly heaven in like two days, man. It'd be great. Jet skis in the ponds, be like mini golf out of the putt, putt. You gonna go all Kenny Powers in the place? Kenny Powers on it, man. Kenny fucking Powers. I don't think I could ever see myself spending $20 million to be that not close to skiing. Well, it's funny. Like when people say, Oh yeah, if I had $20 million, I'd buy that house. No, you wouldn't because you would use all your money. You wouldn't be able to afford the house. Like you have to have like a lot more than $20 million to buy a $20 million house. You know, if you're paying taxes a year on that fucker. It's just upkeep. Think about heating and cooling and taxes and you're not doing the lawn. You got to have a lawn guy. You got to have a, 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 bush guy because you're not doing all those bushes yourself you gotta got a pool guy you gotta get a pond guy yeah and you're you're probably paying a couple hundred grand in taxes that's right and a place that big you can't clean it so you got a cleaner you got you know a service or a maid you're gonna have and why stop there why not have somebody make your dinner too you know it's the same yep sorry right, if that's not your style a four bedroom <laughs> penthouse in los angeles california nice uh let's see here so some fancy guy designed this um it's one of only two penthouses in the wilshire corridor building the two-story residences has a distinctly european feel curved white staircase designed by pagano leads to a second story juliet balcony that overlooks the living room white glass doors on the main level lead outside to the terrace Wow. Does it come with like a bag of Coke because it's in Hollywood? Um, I think that's almost, yeah, I think you have to. I think you cut open the seat cushions and it's all cocaine in there, right? I think there's like bespoke yeah. cocaine available <laughs> throughout the house. It's like a dispenser, Coke dispenser in the bathroom. Yeah. Like right under the mirror. That's oddly enough, they have a, like the mirror built into the, to the counter. It just worked. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's uh, what the area requires. All right, next up, a five-bedroom waterfront home in North Haven, New York. It looks like the goddamn White House right there. Where the hell is North Haven, do you know? Uh, I think it's out by the Hamptons, probably. Probably. Uh, I'm trying to think. 
This is Christy Brinkley's North Haven Estate. And it is a three-story, 5,500-square-foot home that provides direct access to Sag Harbor and 327 feet of sandy beachfront. Yeah, that's out by the entrance, Sag Harbor. It is? All right. Built in 1843, the five-bedroom home includes plenty of period furnishings, as in, like, Christy Brinkley had her period on the furnishings. I'm not thinking that's what they meant, but if that gets you over the edge to spend the $20 million, I'm sure the realtor will say yes. Plenty of period furnishings and pieces. I'm just picturing, like, bloody grossness on the freaking house. Yeah. On the couch. Yeah, it's not a selling point usually. Usually, blood is not a selling point. You got to clean that up. Yeah, blood, police tape. Those are all no-nos. If you go to look at a place, just a suggestion, especially if you're spending $20 million, I see police tape or outline, truck outline or some shit. I'm, I'm not buying it. See Brinkley in period, and that's the first thing I think of. <laughs> it's got to be old too because what's she like, 70? She's had a period in like probably 30 years. Yeah. So this is this is... This is just, I don't know. This is a non-starter for me. All right, we'll non-starter. Go All right, what's the next one? Fancy banisters and crap. <laughs> All right, eight-bedroom waterfront home in Miami Beach, Florida. Ooh, this has to come with cocaine too. Pretty much. I, hey, I watch Narcos. I know what, I know how it goes down. Uh, set on 125 feet of waterfront and surrounded by palm trees. 2318 North Bay Road provides a welcome change of pace from the nonstop action of Miami Beach. This, look, nine. Oh, God. this looks like the setting for a mafia shootout, right? Like a cartel shootout. Oh, with all those like archways and stuff, like people like running through the archways, like with like an Uzi. Like, yep. Shooting Somebody dead in the pool. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see. We got 14,000 square feet of living space. Glass doors, white walls, 12-foot ceilings. It gives the two-story home a light and airy feel. Well, two interior courtyards with water features and vine-draped colonnades create a soothing oasis. Ooh. Eight bedrooms, ten baths. Make up this light-drenched abode, which is spread across 2,000 square feet. So what happens to this 14,000 square feet of living space? I guess it's the whole property. It appears quick, man. You got to pay extra for that. I don't get this at all. Two that. Wait a minute. It says eight bedrooms and ten baths make up this light-drenched abode, which is spread across two thousand square feet. How the hell eight bedrooms, eight bedrooms and, ten and ten baths and two thousand square feet? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Impressive. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> so. Those are five of the potential properties you can get for $20 million. Wow. Is there any of those that you would choose as your? I like the Miami Beach one. Yeah. That one in the, uh, the uh, penthouse in LA. That one was cool. I'm not interested in any of these. <clears throat> You'd rather have one. See, it's a location. You want one on a ski area. That's just it. Yeah. They're not in ski areas. Exactly. That's, that's pretty much sums up for me. Then again, if you have a $20 million baller house, you probably have a smaller house in the ski area that you just, you know, pop in on. Hey, man, always remember what Biggie said, more money, more problems. More money, that's right. Crazy. All right, next up. All right, next up. Um, SpaceX just la- launched their Falcon 9 rocket, and uh, 
there's some video. It's causing a little bit of buzz because it was pretty spectacular to watch. They have pictures and video of it. I would suggest to see it because it's pretty amazing. I don't know what town this was taken in, but they had to be pretty close to where it was launched. Um, it was launched in California, and I guess it was a surprise to people uh, as they were driving and somebody has a dash cam uh, or they had somebody in the car that was, was filming on their phone. And you see it in the it, like in front of them as they're going. It looks pretty cool, like in the distance. Um, and I guess everybody else on the road was watching it, and people started crashing into each other. It was pretty crazy. I mean, the so, glow is like ridiculous. It looks like yeah, like an, some sort of alien craft just came through a portal or something. Yeah, it's like there's the, you definitely see like I guess the uh, the front like the main ship, but then there's this like. I guess plume uh, tail out of it, and then the second, the the first stage of the rocket that had, um, I guess, gone off and then just stopped. And uh, it's pretty amazing to see. You're like, what the hell is that? Like, you don't see anything like that in the sky normally. So it was, it was like the ghost of the Hindenburg or something. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy looking. Yeah, my sister was in California when it launched. She said it was like unreal seeing. Oh yeah! Wow. Yeah, that's the other thing. They're launching from different places that they haven't launched before, right? Yeah, I think so. Because everything used to be, what, Cape Canaveral? We well, did uh, Cape Canaveral and then Vandenberg, I think. Is is that California? Mm -hmm. um, so it might have been Vandenberg, but usually they just go straight up. This thing kind of went to the side. It was like a weird, weird launch. Yeah, it got horizontal to the the uh, the ground, right? Yeah. Or more horizontal than a usual craft would. Well, and then it's not like they just dump the uh, the boosters. Those boosters are still flying, so they're they're creating more, you know, trail as they they're coming back down because they land them. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Yeah, that dash cam video is pretty funny. <laughs> just kind of like cruising down the highway, chilling, and it's like, oh my god, what the hell is that? <laughs> And then the people are yelling at the guy driving. He's like, I'm not even looking. Like, did, <laughs> I'm not taping the, the person next to me. Either. Pretty funny. Did you see that? That guy's uh, watching. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So um, with that, one of the reasons this is so interesting is now they're saying January they want to launch the SpaceX uh, Falcon Heavy. Mm -hmm. And they're saying they're pushing it to January now. So I really do want to try to, uh, if I can... Uh, go down to the Cape and watch it because that's going to be the biggest, most enormous, fantastic rocket they have on the planet. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. should do a uh, like a live, like live uh, Instagram from there. Yeah, do the uh, live it up. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, but this this video is like, I mean, it's the accident's obviously pretty funny, but you see that flying, like you just. You'd be like, what the hell is that? It doesn't look like anything you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. I would. I mean, I would totally freak out if I saw that. Yeah. I mean, is that like, it almost looks like a meteor coming in, but mm -hmm. like coming close and then it looks weird because there's like a, it's not a consistent plume. You're like, well, what the hell is that? You know? Yeah. Wild. Yeah. I wonder what they chose to do it at night too. Cause it makes it so much more dramatic. Yeah. I wonder if they wanted to do it to get some sort of buzz like this. Free publicity, man. Right?
Yeah, I guess when, when usually, I guess it depends on the window because they will have, I guess night launches are probably rare, but they do have them. I've heard of night launches. Usually in the morning though. Yeah. But you know, they, they delay everything. Every time they do a launch, everything's delayed. Just like the freaking uh, airlines. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah, that plume is really cool. They have a really cool picture on there with like a beautiful skyline and you see it up in, it almost looks like somebody got a picture of a skyline and painted like some fantasy thing up there. It's pretty yeah, neat. seriously. Kind of a... Very surreal looking. It would be like a fuzzy poster you get in like um, Spencer's or something like that. <laughs> get the black light, man. Get the black light. We're going to smoke up and look at the poster, man. All right, cool. Another fun story from our pals at Rob Report. There's a new company out there, Av Avyats, I guess it's pronounced A-V-Y-A-C-H-T-S. They are a offering a new program for fractional yacht ownership, uh, which represents an alternative to the hefty costs of sole yacht ownership and the unpredictable experiences of chartering. I love so, this. This is kind of like a like a NetJets or a FlexJet, which is the you know private jet companies that offer partial partial ownership. This is the same thing. So now you can yeah. get fractional yacht ownership. So, so let me before we talk about the scale of this, right? There's a club that I looked into down in Florida. They actually are in Jersey. They're all over. Uh, it's called Freedom Yacht Club uh, or Freedom Boat Club, not Yacht Club. And you pay like three to four grand initially. And then like, I think it's like $1,200 a year and you get to take out a boat anytime you want. You just book a reservation, go, it's gassed up, whatever you just gotta return it with gas. And you basically take it out and that covers your rental for the entire year. It's like a ghetto version of this. Ghetto version of that. Nice. So this is definitely on a, on a bigger scale. Yeah, they're talking about, um, so they have, a different scheduling, uh, but you can get like a 20% stake, which gives you full access to six weeks each year for five years of ownership. That's not bad. Um, and they will be also willing to sell 10% stakes, which is three weeks, or even make other arrangements with potential owners. So what's a 20% stake setting you back for six weeks? Well, it depends on the vessels in which you're referring to. They currently have the Westport 112 as the first boat in its fleet and is acquiring several Westport 130s, mainly because owners have requested the larger models. Hmm. I love when people who are like medium pimping like this are starting to get uppity and want something better. Like, yeah, well, this is nice. Do you have anything bigger? This will have to do for now. If I had my own, I would get the 130. So I don't really want to get into a partial fractional ownership of a small boat. 112 is so basic. <laughs> That's right. So according to the sales schedule, a 20% stake in the Westport 112 would cost 1.78 million as opposed to buying it outright for 9 million. That's a big savings. Yeah. You're losing money if you don't do it. I'm just saying, right? I wonder what the depreciation rate of a boat like this would be. Uh, some of them don't depreciate that much. So the Westport 112 is a 34 meter boat, which oh, yeah. because my metric sucks, 
111 inches. I mean, 111 feet. Right, which is why it's called the 112. Yeah, so 112 feet. And the 130s, 130. Uh, let's see. They're saying sleeps eight in four staterooms. Which, that's eight luxury staterooms. Mm. The one thing I don't understand, so it says, all right, you buy a 20% stake, it would cost you $1.78 million, as opposed to buying it for $9 million. The residual value that an owner should receive after five years is $1.38 million. So you're, you're getting you got to pay the crew and all that stuff. But it says so they, the owner should receive. Oh, see, so you own the 20% stake and they, you probably, so you get your six weeks, but you could rent out your six weeks then probably like a timeshare. So you're actually, that's only costing you 400 grand then? Well, if you use, it depends how many weeks you use. If you use all six weeks, then you're buying 20% of the boat and you're saving on the cost of the boat instead of paying $8 million, almost $9 million, you're only paying $1.7 million, but you're getting it for six weeks for five years. Oh, you got to pay any incidentals too associated with stocking special foods or drinks during the charters. Mm. Um, it estimates the total annual cost, including crew maintenance and operating costs, would be about three hundred and forty thousand for owners spending six weeks aboard the yacht. Chump change. Chump change. <laughs> Compared to chartering, that would be much less expensive than chartering a yacht of the same size, depending on the charter vessel's age, brand, and location. Right. And that's just it. You don't have to worry about insurance. You don't have to worry about you know, I'm sure anything breaks down with it, it gets fixed by whatever. It's part of the package you have, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm convinced. I'm going to call them right up. Yeah, like I said, you're losing money if you don't. You really are. You know, take this up. <laughs> Crazy money. Love it. So again, we go back. This is so if you can afford a twenty million dollar house, you could afford this or your own yacht. You know, because mm -hmm. they do they do get expensive. I guess the upkeep. Yeah. All right. What do we got next? All right. Well, you know, there's 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 yachting polite and there's Japanese polite, and Japanese polite is much more polite than yacht polite. <laughs> so KFC in Japan has now created some sort of yes this is apparently a thing low smell fried chicken so you what? won't bother people on the train okay so number one I guess this was a big deal for people and number two who's eating chicken on a train I mean yeah that was my first thought too like how long is your train ride that you you gotta be eating chicken on a train I couldn't understand if it's not rush hour, but I've seen video of Japan train rush hour and they're packing people in. How are you eating the chicken? Have a bucket? <laughs> I mean, chicken? yeah, totally packed in. Like somebody else has to hold it for you while you eat it because you can't even get your hand up to eat it. What about feed bag? Ah, you could do, uh, maybe they have the KFC feed bag. But can you imagine trying to eat a freaking like fried chicken breast with that's why they, without. <laughs> that's why they wear the mask. Some people wear that mask. It's not for. It's not for. No, I got a. I got a better idea. What about like you know like when you see a guy playing the harmonica when he's playing the piano and it has like a little holder there. 
Yeah. Like, what about like having a, like one of those holders with your fried chicken on there? That's for the corn. White the corn. It's <laughs> like you have like a neck band, and then like the little you know the little like tripod piece, and then the chicken goes across there like a rotisserie, and you kind of just like <laughs> just like bite on it, almost like pecking at it, like a chicken. Peck on it. That's right. How meta is that? You're pecking on your chicken. You're eating like a chicken, the chicken you have on your neck. That's right. You eat a chicken, act like a chicken. You are what you eat. Right. And you can have an, and you can actually switch out like for the chicken and the corn and then just keep switching it up. Yeah. See, but I, I, I still think now I'm going to look at people with the mask when they wear it on the subway and say, you know, do they have chicken under there? Because maybe that's what they do. They put the chicken and they just hold it with the mask. Yeah. You got to see if there's grease coming through the mask. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Japan's all about having good manners. So they're selling a new type of fried chicken with a repressed scent so that your take-home order doesn't bother other people on the train you're riding home with its smell. So I guess it's not even if you're eating it on the train, just like carrying it on the train to get home. Wow, low smell chicken. And look at that. It's like a kiosk, like ready to grab and go chicken, KSC. Yeah, it's called the fried chicken home type. It's a special variety only available at KFC Station, a takeout store located near the A8 exit of Shinjuku subway station in downtown Tokyo. I want to see somebody eat a goddamn pot pie on the subway in rush hour. <laughs> that would be awesome. Some homeless guy like freaking just like spits on it by accident. I see some dude in like a suit just dripping all over with the pot pie like down a suit, you know, be hilarious. Fried chicken home type. So that's the star, star of the menu. Two pieces selling for 500 yen. So about $4.50. Hmm. Wow, I guess you grab it and you go, like rather than cook, you're just bringing it home. But yeah, it won't offend. He claims that the home type's cooking method locks in flavors and aroma. <laughs> and uh, true to its word, we had to press our noses right up against the plastic container to detect even the faintest whiff of fried chicken. Really? Any greater distance, we didn't notice it at all. So why don't they just come up with like a better Tupperware to lock in the smell? Well, now I'm wondering, is it the Tupperware or is it the chicken? Or are they just dipping it in like epoxy? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. if you couldn't make mass-produced fried chicken more creepy, <laughs> like if you didn't think it was creepy enough that it was genetically engineered, um, I, I don't know what they do to uh, – to lock in the flavor and the smell. Mm. It sounds a little yeah. messed up. Yeah, I think we're going to have some long-term ramifications from this sort of thinking and product. Yeah, because God forbid you get the chicken after you get off the subway and then go home. I wonder if they had like a taste comparison, like the real one versus this one, how different it is. Well, if they put like that chicken in front of you, like they serve you and you're not looking. Do you even know it was served? Because now you can't smell it. Mm, true. Right? Yeah. No, very weird. So it's only available till December 31st. So you got three more days to get some of this uh, good old home type chicken. You better um, get out there and patent that harmonica chicken holder very quickly. Imagine just seeing like five people on like the freaking six train and rush hour just eating their freaking. Uh, Harmonica holder chicken. 
Oh, you would be so pissed. You'd be like, I missed the boat. I had that idea. God damn it. Yeah. You, you find out like that dude made like millions of, on millions of dollars. That's why he does the podcast full time. He was the guy who sold the chicken neck holder thing. That's right. You see that mansion up in Jackson Hall? Like that's the chicken uh, harmonica neck guy holder. I can't believe he lives here. That's so cool. Wow, let's go get his autograph. <laughs> You'd be so mad. Son of a bitch. Yep. All right. So next up, the NFL um, does not have any shortage of entertainment value for us. So um, there's a uh, a New York Jet who's a, I think he's a rookie this year, uh, named Jeremy Curley. Now, he uh, failed a few drug tests, and he was suspended for four games. And upon returning, he... Uh, well, so he was um, suspended for violating performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, that was the policy. Um, so he was still confused on, you know, how he failed the drug test. You know, this is after his suspension. And his excuse was that um, he said, I don't know. There's a lot of ghosts around here. Ghosts put it in there. You know, ghosts of Christmas past. I don't know. So his defense is the ghost defense. So he's saying ghosts made him fail a drug test. He went full ghost. He went full ghost. So now, um, along with this, I love how they included some of the other really bad excuses for failing a drug test, uh, the kissing defense. So there was uh, Gil Roberts was allowed to compete in the USA track and field championship after an arbitrator agreed with his argument that he accidentally ingested a substance from passionately kissing his girlfriend. So... That actually held up. Um, There's been like tennis players, Olympians, pole boy. Everybody's tried the kissing uh, defense. So it's a a well-known defense. Uh, Blame it on the meat. I've heard this in several sports that the meat was tainted with, um, you know, some kind of drug, usually um, hormones or um, something like that. I, I remember... Alberto Contador, that's what he was saying when he got disqualified from Tour de France. Everybody knows that they're um, juicing. Uh, Petr Korda failed a drug test at Wimbledon, and he blamed meat also. So it's crazy. Like A lot of people are just coming out. Uh, and then Tyler Hamilton ba- blamed his positive drug test on his vanishing twin, saying that he absorbed the blood of his twin who died in the womb. <laughs> I love that. That's so wonderful. And I think that was he he was saying he had an extra high level of testosterone or something like that, that he absorbed the blood of his twin and that gave him elevated level. Uh, but then he admitted a decade after that um, the defense failed and it wasn't his idea for an alibi because really who would take credit for that? So, uh pretty interesting so i'm sure there's a lot of funny stupid uh excuses that people give for failing drug tests and there's probably a ton of them out there and do we know what drug it was he was on no was it probably just cannabis who jerry curly yeah they said performance enhancing but let's see so does it ghost smoke weed is it ghost weed Yeah, I love when they blame like kissing the girlfriend. That's so fantastic. 
well, she had a lot of, uh, you know, uh, EPO on her lips, and then, you know, she has this <laughs> kind of, kind of lipstick she uses a lot of EPO, yeah. She has a steroid uh, lipstick that, you know, we were passionately kissing, and it, it kind of got in my mouth. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. Yeah, they just said PED, so performance enhancing. I think it, it's it's got to be like steroids or something. Well, I guess the ghost has the good stuff. So, ghost of steroids past. See, they don't they don't. The ghost of steroids past. I love it. Come back to haunt you. All right, and we have one more story this week, and you know we've we've talked a lot about Bitcoin the last couple. Of, well, I guess everybody's talking about Bitcoin now. Yeah, it's the hot topic, right? Yeah, it certainly is. And uh, here we found the story about a dominatrix that makes men mine cryptocurrency for her. And she now has over $1 million worth. Wow. This, this is genius right here. This this woman is freaking awesome. Uh, she calls herself Theodora. She is a financial dominatrix. Oh, dude, that's awesome. What this means is that... Um, Many of the men who she's never met in person derive sexual pleasure from giving her gifts and money. Wow. Exchanges of money can range from several dollars in, quote, tributes, as they're called, to gifts of more than six figures. Some clients even become a human ATM, meaning they give her complete control over a bank account. Oh, that's awesome. I got to be, I got to be one of these financial dominatrix or dominate, dominator. Somebody will like it. Good luck to you, sir. <laughs> um, Damn. She says it's a form of psychological domination where money is the tool for the transfer of power. Uh, it's quite common for powerful men like politicians or CEOs to look for a form of sexual release by submitting to a woman. They are in control all the time during the day, and giving up control financially is a more tangible instrument power of power for them. But she's based in Paris, uh, has been working as a dominatrix for eight years and accepting cryptocurrency for four. Man, she also specializes awesome. in femdom hypnosis, a process with which she says she's able to dominate men using hypnotism. Her clients are all men, usually in their late 30s to early 50s, and usually come from the U.S. and the U.K., there's a core group of 20 to 25 regular big spenders who make donations as high as $100,000 at once. Wow. Some of whom she does real-time sessions with in person, as well as two to 300 people who make smaller contributions online, most of whom she never meets in person. That is incredible. She communicates, this is, I love this. She communicates with them mostly online and by phone. She charges $25 a minute to call her and be ignored. <laughs> oh, man. $69 a minute to actually be spoken with. Wow. Holy crap. So with Bitcoin, so she's, uh, she's estimated to make between seven dollars and $10,000 a month in cryptocurrencies. In addition to $10,000 a month, she earns by making video hypnosis sessions and financial domination videos and donations from clients and dollars. Her Twitter has uh, hypno teasers 
And she says, I'll seduce you, drop you, and leave you begging for more. Yeah. That's awesome. She claims to be the first dominatrix to create a hive of crypto followers, but she said many women are now attempting to follow in her footsteps. And then it goes on to have like a whole interview with her. It's, uh, it's fantastic. Wow. I guess there's other Theodores popping up. Uh-huh. And she's... Uh... She has a slave farm. She's hurt by other Theodores popping up or something. Yeah. Wow. There's a whole subculture you didn't even want to get involved with, but this is crazy. Yeah. She says she has between seven and eight different cryptocurrencies. Wow. Well, if you if you have uh, want to know what to do with your Bitcoin, there's uh, give them to her, right? Give them to her. Yeah, not a bad move. Skim. So fantastic. That's wild. So that's like you don't even have to put like a Kickstarter to get the money. She just says, "Yep, I'm up there. I financially dom- dominate you." Yeah, Kickstarter takes a chunk. Bitcoin takes nothing. I'm on her site now. She's the elite financial domination. That's what she offers. Uh, the Art of Femden. So I have been featured on I Want a Blog to talk about my short film, The Manipulatrix, The Manipulatrix, which is what inspired her. And then she does ex- Exotic Extortion and Blackmail 101, the practice of obtaining something, especially money, through force or threats. Erotic. Financial domination, the manipulatrix. Uh, she has advice on how to submit. Cuckold, jerk, and pay. Wow. <laughs> About hypnosis, body language, exotic extortion. Cuckold, fin sub. I have no idea what this is. Market watch interview. Her Twitter handle is the only Theodora, in case you were wondering. In case there's others out there, right? Yeah. And she's not verified, though, so. Oh, she has all sorts of videos on there. Oh, just her doing stupid shit. Yeah, this chick is. That's funny. That's awesome. So, yeah, if you got some money and if you're a rich, powerful dude and you want to be financially dominated, uh, go over to uh, the, the only Theodora on Twitter and she will not disappoint you. So can you get the dominatrix to pay? See, that would be a great system. Then you're talking about a multi-level marketing thing where she gets people and then you have her as your dominatrix or you're, you dominate her. The marriage of like financial domination. Exactly. So she has three people that she dominates and then you dominate her and then it goes, the money flows up the hill. Yep. In a pyramid formation. I wish I was so powerful that this actually seemed like a good move. That's something I would get off on. But uh, yeah, see this, again, uh, this is not in my wheelhouse in my on the same planet that I live on. See again, if you had the twenty million dollar house and the partial share yacht or the full yacht, you'd probably have enough money to say. If you have a partial share yacht, you can't afford to have be given money to a dominatrix. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Wow. wow so there you go so yeah you know this is what the podcast does you know we uh we start off with with funsies and booze and skiing and then it ends up 
giving you guys some some other options if you want to rid yourself of hard-earned cash. The videos are all of her just in stockings and just brown panties, just like saying shit and just doing motions. She's not doing anything pornographic or anything. It's just suggestive. Suggestive, but it's funny. Yeah. So she's saying, time for you to learn your place. Uh, I will teach you the only way to satisfy me. Wallet out. <laughs> That's awesome. You want to show me how much you like me? Bring your wallet out. She posts a lot. Holy crap. Like 15 posts a day. Dude, she's making money for doing that. Why not? I post all day. Yeah. All day. She's so Super smart businesswoman. I just want to say, um, Ski Bum Podcast, we are your financial dominators, and you should uh, contact us so that you could send us all your Bitcoin. We dominate POW. That's what we dominate. Dominate the POW. That's right. The Ski Bum-related podcast arena. Right. Fifty Shades of POW. That's what we give. I like that. We're going to start using that. That should be my, that should be our Twitter handle. Fifty Shades of POW. I like it. Boom. All right. Well, I guess that about wraps it up for the old week. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Please go and rate us and follow us on your favorite podcasting apps. Check us out, skibumpodcast.com. Check us out on twitter.com slash skibumpodcast, instagram.com slash skibumpodcast, facebook.com slash skibumpodcast. We are on Pinterest as the highfalutin. We're also on SoundCloud highfalutin-skibum. And you can send us an email at skibumpodcast at gmail.com. Hope you guys have a wonderful new year. We'll have more to come in the future. Happy holidays. And we will see you guys next week. Stay high, stay gluten. See you.